Hi, and welcome to episode number 160 of the weekly Google Cloud Platform podcast. I'm Mark Mandel, and I'm here with my colleague, Gabby Ferrara. Hello, Gabby. How are you doing today? Hello, Mark. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's very exciting to be working with you. Yeah, first time. So let's see how that goes. <laughs> I think it's going to go great. Before we get into the podcast, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself just so they get to know you? So I'm Mini Bayer here. I'm a developer advocate at Google Cloud for storage and databases, mostly focusing on Cloud SQL, which it is offered for MySQL and Postgres. And sometimes I do other stuff like memory store or getting in the middle of stuff that's none of my business like Knative. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, speaking of Knative, that is what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking with Ville and Mark talking about Knative and all the things you can do about it. And then after that, we're going to have our usual question of the week where I'm going to ask Gabby a question about Cloud SQL and how long it takes to detect an outage and trigger high availability failover. Are you ready? Uh, okay. Excellent. We always do our cool things of the week. Gabby, do you want to go first with one of your cool things of the week? So we are opening a new renewable energy plant in Asia right now. We only had before in the Americas and Europe. Nice. So Google announced they're doing a new renewable energy plant in Asia. And that's cool because before we only had in America and Europe. So that's going to be a 10 megawatt plant of solar array. And I don't know how much that powers, but I think it powers a lot of stuff on that. I think it's a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and we'll have a link to uh, some details of that in a blog post in the, in the show notes as well. I'm really excited because we're getting going with Cloud Functions. <laughs> that's a terrible <laughs> pun as well. But Go 1.1 is now a supported language on Cloud Functions, which makes me really happy because I write really terrible JavaScript and I try and write Cloud Functions and it's always a mess. Uh, now I can write it in a language that I'm much more familiar with. So if you want to play with that, that is available now in beta, which is awesome. So you can write HTTP functions with Go. You can run it against events. So if you're a Go lover like I am, you can take advantage of that right now. Another cool thing of the week, it's the Google Game of the Year, uh, which uses a cloud text-to-speech API and app engine. And they talk about how they were able to save costs, not having to hire a new actor every time they needed to add a new stuff on their game, and also being scalable with app engine. So give it a shot at that blog post there. Yeah, you can actually go straight to the link and bring it up. It's actually a really cute game that you can play. Yeah. I really like it. It's fun. Finally, we also have a new blog post series by fellow developer relations person, Megan O'Keefe, who is a developer programs engineer, uh, talking about Istio. So it's a series of articles talking about Istio and how it plugs into a variety of things, actually, that I really like. So it's a basic discussion about sort of having service mesh and where that's applicable, but then also going into where that's been integrated into things like Knative, talking about multi-cluster Istio, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to have a link to the first one that's in the show notes, but keep an eye out for follow-up articles after that. Awesome. Well, Gabby, why don't we go chat with our guests and learn all about Knative? Okay, let's go. So big thanks to Mark Tremarni and Ville Aikas for joining us today to talk about Knative. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today, Ville? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to talk about Knative. So thanks for having us. Awesome. And how are you doing, Mark? Doing good. Excited as well with Vila and talking about Knative. Thank you for having us. Fantastic. Awesome. So before we get stuck into Knative, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Vile, why don't you go first? I'm uh, one of the founders of the Knative project. That's something that I've been working on for the last year and a half almost now. 
Prior to that, I've been working on several open source projects, Helm, Kubernetes service catalog, and so forth. And before that, worked on Kubernetes before I got open sourced. And then a stint in Google Cloud Storage. So all cloud all the time. Awesome. Mark, you want to follow up? Yeah, I'm a technical program manager for serverless at Google. Uh, recently, however, has been much more closer to a developer advocate type of role, uh, working on the Knative open source project, as well as the uh, GKE add-on, uh, which is based on Knative. That kind of transition of a role really came from uh, the early days where we were super scrappy. We had a small team on Knative and everybody did two or three jobs. But as the team grows and we're bringing new people on, uh, much more focus on Knative ecosystem, uh, driving co community awareness, partners, contributors, speaking engagements, blogs, and demos, and so forth. Uh, so I'm excited to work more and more with the outside uh, contributors to Knative. Okay, thank you, Mark. We're happy to have you here too to talk about Knative. And I would be really happy to learn a bit more about Knative today because my knowledge is a bit thin on this subject. I just know a bit of Kubernetes and I'm really excited to see what you have to show us about the subject here. Yeah, why don't you give us a sort of a high level overview of like, what's the problem that Knative is trying to solve? Sure. So one of the things that we did with the Kubernetes was we really, this is my words, I think we gave uh, the cloud uh, and the developers uh, assembly language for the cloud. Yeah. So you want to go and get stuff up and running in the cloud, the instruction set, if you will, and provided Kubernetes. And Kubernetes is great. Problem is that there's a lot of pieces that you have to go ahead and understand in order to effectively use it. And for the most part, the developers don't really need to know all those things, ideally, but they are exposed to it in order for them to actually get things up and running. So as we looked around for a while, we realized that there is a need for a higher level of abstraction at Kubernetes level that would allow us to go ahead and meet the developer's need much more closely. And that's sort of kind of where the Knative comes. So if you think about the Kubernetes and even Istio as well as kind of the assembly language, uh, Knative is bringing you something like the libc or standard lib. That's how I think about it. So there's a lot of the problems that are being solved all over the place, especially in the serverless space. And we kind of wanted to bring all of our friends and all of the knowledge and solve those problems in one place and then go ahead and focus on building super awesome developer experiences on top of that. If I can just maybe add something to this, I think there should be no surprise to the regular audience uh, of this podcast that Google bet pretty big on Kubernetes and Istio a little bit. Uh, if we kind of look a little higher up the stack where the developers of applications on Kubernetes actually are, I, I think to some degree, they just want to write code. They don't want to deal with building Docker images, uploading them to registry, deploying different services, exposing them to the internet and all the other mechanical things that are related to deploying an application. Uh, so on the end of the day, really Knative solves for the experience of the developer on Kubernetes that would not require them to know every single aspect of what Kubernetes is. And the analogy that Vila, uh, Vila uses around the low-level kernel is spot on. It's kind of something that we're hoping nobody ever has to think about when they're developing applications on Knative what's underneath. I have a question. So you say that you don't want developers to be worrying about every aspect of Kubernetes, of how to create a load balancer, for instance, Knative would solve that problem for you. Like the load balancer to expose the load balancer yeah. on Kubernetes. And my question I ask because a lot of the problems that people have, it's because you need to create a Docker image. Uh, so you have a YAML file there. Then you have a YAML file for Kubernetes. And does Knative solve that problem to have to deal with different configuration files to do just one deployment? 
No, that's an excellent question. I'm sure Vila can speak to that too, being kind of closer to the technical side. But on the developer side, I think the things that you will see that directly speak to that kind of friction that you just described uh, is being able to skip the entire Docker image as a requirement for somebody who wants to use Knative. So we have uh, use cases where address uh, directly deploying from a source code and Knative still builds that Docker image for you behind the scene, but you as a developer don't have to worry about it. Furthermore, just like you've pointed out, once you deploy that thing, usually people are excited because the Hello World application comes up. But if you're looking at kind of day two or day five problems where the application is now successful and dealing with some of the auto-scaling problems that developers normally have to deal with, this is an, another area where Knative really helps you because you don't have to think about it. It's based on auto-scaling. And when your audience goes away, they, so does the resources that are required to run your application on top of uh, in Knative. Thank you. No, this sounds really cool. So just to take a step back a little bit in some ways, like we said sort of like we're deploying things, we're deploying applications. Like what does that mean to you? Am I like deploying Redis with this or what what kind of things am I deploying? That's that's a great question. Yeah, so typically the first target market really for Knative is what is typically the serverless, aka stateless uh, services. It is things like functions. We want to make sure that you have a very similar user experience for both or the developer experience for both of these, whether it's an application or a function. So you don't have to go and have that mental shift, which is, oh, I'm doing functiony stuff or I'm doing application-y stuff. When typically the life cycle and the development processes and practices are very, very similar. You have some code that I would like you to run for me and don't screw it up, please. Awesome. Is there particular languages that are supported in Knative now, or can I bring my own stack if I want? Bring your own stack. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of Knative. The word that we keep using to describe that is is this idiomatic experience. If you were developing applications in Node, Java, Python, I don't know C sharp. Uh, you bring that same exact experience and you don't change your day-to-day -day operations to kind of adapt to Knative. You follow the same procedures you would develop your application somewhere else. There is no extra attributes you have to put on top of your functions. There is no extra configuration inside of your code that you have to do in order to make it work for Knative. Knative is kind of built on an assumption that there is a serverless container that we will run and we also hope you with building that container. To a large degree, Knative is polyglot from that standpoint. Anything that can be containerized can be run on Knative as long as it's in right now HTTP application. Absolutely. Sweet. So I can write functions in like Haskell or something. <laughs> That's what you like. Even yes. PHP? Even PHP. I know. Not, not, not a lot of people like it, but like even PHP. Bring it. Yes. You know, uh, yes PHP. I like it. Even PHP. Awesome. So if I want to build like a little Knative application, what does that experience look like? How does the tooling work? What does that flow look like? Knative kind of has two different entry points, so to speak. For people kind of familiar already with Kubernetes itself, and they've been kind of used to interacting with kubectl, the command line for the, the CLI for Kubernetes, uh, you can just follow the exact same methodology. You build your application, you build your container, and you deploy it, except that when, it, when you lands, it kind of lands as a Knative service that inherits a lot of the properties of uh, the platform I just explained, which is like auto-scaling and being able to be configured dynamically and so forth, the routes management. If, you, however, you're coming to Knative as a developer who has not worked on top of Kubernetes before, there's a growing number of tools in the community that kind of enable you to deal directly with the code and not have to build images yourself. Uh, so that use case of a source to URL is one that we often point to where 
uh, you develop the application, for example, in Go and using the built pipelines that are developed inside of Knative, you can actually execute a pipeline which will build that code from your repository, private or public on, on Git or GitHub, and and suck that code and build that image for you and deploy it. So all of that is happening on the cluster, which gives you a lot of benefits around kind of obfuscating that or using the resources only during the build phase and then being able to use them to host your application after the fact. Is there tooling as well for like local development or do I have to push everything up to the cloud every time I'm working? We do have some initial implementation of Knative on top of uh, Minikube. Obviously, some of the requirements that come with Istio and, and Kubernetes are a little more resource hungry, but, but we have people who have successfully done that. Uh, so you could actually imagine running the entire stack on your local laptop, yes. In most cases, you don't even need the entire stack because you can just treat it as either just a, a local web server or run all your unit tests and integration tests and everything else. And then the kinds of things that you might not care about when you're doing local development, like, well, does it scale to zero? Does it go away? It's like, no, 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 it does. Don't worry about it. Just push it in the cloud and we'll handle that for you. So there's kind of the operational aspect that we hide for you that you typically don't necessarily have to worry about when you're doing local development. But as Mark pointed out, yeah, you can do that with the Minikube or or anything else. And GCP comes uh, provides developers with a free tier. And uh, I think with our latest release, we actually have a model in which you could use the free tier to run small instance, uh, single node instance of Knative on GKE. We list on our Knative website uh, four features uh, in the skins, uh, mainly serving, build events, and serverless add-on on GKE. I have a question regarding about events. We say here that would be a universal subscription delivery and management of events. Would be that similar to a pub sub service or it's a different kind of event? What do you mean by events in here? That's a great question. So eventing is typically lends itself very well to Knative execution environment because it's serverless, right? So if no events are happening, aka tree falls in the forest, nobody hears about it, right? But um, the eventing is is a piece that says, look, we want to have very principled understanding yeah. of the events. So when a PubSub event, for example, happens or a pub, somebody publishes an event into a PubSub, you want to say, please execute this function for me. And yes, we support. That was a direct answer to your question. But in addition to it, it might be something as somebody pushed some code to GitHub or somebody uploaded an image to uh, Google Cloud Storage or, or S3 or whatever else where there's an, there's an action, some other system happened, and you want to decouple those in such a way that you don't have to understand how did it happen. You just say, you know what, when something happens over there, let me know about it. So the eventing, you can go ahead and describe what these events look like, and then you can go ahead and describe strategies, aka what should happen when that event fires. So if you want to do something simple like a thumbnailing, which is a pretty classic example, you would say, okay, when somebody uploads an image into a cloud storage bucket, please go ahead and run this little piece of code. So that's what the eventing concerns itself with. Thank you. Awesome. And does that mean as well that you can extend that eventing mechanism? So if you want to have your own custom events for, I don't know, random things that happen inside maybe your application or something, could you respond to those? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that makes me super excited is the fact that I, I do think that this model of computing is going to be made so much more approachable to different people if you have a very rich eventing ecosystem. So the more events you have, the more desire there is to go and process those and so forth. So being able to go ahead and create new events 
resources is something that we have been thinking about very hard and making sure that that is very, very easy and it behaves and looks the same everywhere. So I personally would like to go ahead and make sure that you as a developer, again, don't have to worry about reading a whole bunch of instructions and, and clicking and dragging and copying and pasting where you just say, hey, just give me those events because that, that's what I care about as a developer, not about how does it happen. I say, ah, give me some events. So you don't need to have RabbitMEQ running inside Knative to be able to get my events. I can use Knative itself to manage those events for me. Yes, one of the nice things that I like to talk about eventing that often uh, registers with uh, with the community or the developers out, outside who often don't deal with Knative on a daily basis is the decoupling of the event source from the actual processing of events. So when you are writing something that's supposed to act when it's triggered by event, you really don't have any awareness or any code in your little processor that is aware of that, which means that you can bind that uh, processor and processing function uh, to a number of different events as long as that uh, message type is defined. And this is where Knative also is pretty innovative with regards to adopting cloud events, which is kind of a common way of defining events across uh, the internet, which is strongly typing the, the different properties that each event will have while allowing for extensions of the different data components that come with that. So Knative supports uh, cloud event 02 right now, which is the current version of cloud events. Yep. And this is where the industry is collaborating on making sure that we are able to talk to each other as a number of different sources increases over time. Is that a, like an open standard or something? Yes, it is actually CNCF, I believe, uh, project. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. All right. So from the other side, and, I, and you touched on it a little bit earlier. Like, So as a developer, I'm like, this sounds awesome. I love it. But how do I install this? How do I run this? Like, What does the operator experience kind of look like here? Because this is an open source project, uh, you actually can take the installation guides that are already published in our repository and deploy Knative to any Kubernetes certified instance of a service. So obviously, GCP has a great uh, Kubernetes service called GKE, uh, but other cloud service providers also have that. You can also install to your own Kubernetes on-premise. Um, so the decision would be basically based on the fact of two factors. One is uh, the locality, uh, as in, do you need to have applications somewhere close located to your data source that's not available somewhere else or something like that, or to the operational model? If you are already managing your own Kubernetes cluster, installing Knative on top of that would be potentially a, a nominal set of scripts that you install and, and be done with that. However, growing number of companies are actually not interested in operating their own Kubernetes cluster. They like the common API and they like that kind of certification across different cloud service providers, but being able to deploy those applications on top of that surface and not be locked into a particular provider. So Knative in that case works very well with GKE. At next uh, last year, so it's been probably seven months, uh, we've launched GKE add-on. Uh, that by including one additional flag or, or one checkbox during the UI provisioning, you can bring the entire Knative stack that's been validated to work for that particular version of GKE. So you, out of the box, you're getting the full Knative stack that's already configured for you, and you're ready to develop your first application as soon as that stack is available. GKE currently takes about, what, three minutes to provide the entire stack, so uh, you have a pretty quick provisioning capability for yourself. Backtracking a bit off on the example that Mark gave, like, oh, that means I can run Redis on Knative and really said, no, it's more stateless applications. 
right? So what kind of application or code should it be not be running inside of uh, Knative? I'm a big advocate for not running databases inside Kubernetes because working with stateful applications is complicated. So is that true also for Knative? So let me make sure I understand. So you're saying that uh, stateful applications shouldn't be running on Knative? I'm asking that. Yeah, so typically not because one of the things that we want to do is provide the pay-as-you-go model so that mm -hmm. uh, resources are not being used. Typically, most stateful applications require you to have something up and running all the time. However, because Knative is built on top of Kubernetes, one of the things that you can do is that you can run all these things alongside your Knative and you just reach out to the Kubernetes directly. So I know while, while you might not be a fan of running stateful applications, even on Kubernetes, <laughs> you, you do have that, that option because there, there is a lot of great abstractions in the Kubernetes SL and there's, you know, like standardizing disks and everything else like that. Yes. So with things like that, you can go ahead and get the best of both worlds, if you will. It's the developers that really want to focus on the stateless applications and, and you know, functions and whatnot. They can go ahead and run in the same cluster. They just have a different API that is a higher level that targets only the things that they should really have to worry about. Thank you. Well, that actually probably segues nicely into what I'm thinking about, which is, so if I'm running the managed version of Knative, do I still have access to a Kubernetes API, like the Kubernetes cluster that it's working on? Or is that completely hidden from me at that point in time? It is still available to use. When you check that extra box or include then one extra flag during the gcloud command to provision a cluster, you're really not losing any of that Kubernetes capability. You're just adding one extra add-on on top of that. So you still have that Kubernetes API if you wanted to. Uh, you can interact directly with Knative for the applications that you know don't require the entire stack. But we're trying to not hide any of the capabilities that Kubernetes has because obviously it's popular and it's really being adopted by a lot of different companies. So it, there's no point of doing this. But in the same time, for the developers who don't need to know the entire scope of the schema for a particular deployment or, or service, kind of creating a very well-defined principal objects that are easy to understand for developer, a service, route, a configuration, is something that just by understanding the meaning of the word, you kind of know what it's supposed to do. Great credit goes to the initial thought leaders on this, like Vila and others who kind of thought about like, what would I call that? What would need to do if I was a web developer and wanted to create something there? So I think that has proven to be a very elegant way of addressing those common problems that developers have. But if you are not able to accomplish something that you need, you're not falling very far. The, the, the Kubernetes itself is still there underneath. It gives you a comfort to be able to adapt to the use cases that Knative perhaps is not designed for. Fantastic. If either of you had to choose one of your favorite features out of Knative, what would you choose? Oh, that's a good one. Vile? I, I like scale to zero. I'm always coming up with rando things and I spin things up and then I forget about them and then I come in and uh, <laughs> and I don't have to remember to go clean up. So it's it, if I if I start some jobby job somewhere and, and you know, go home, I don't want to halfway through home remember like, oh, no, I left the stove on. My house is going to burn down. It's like Knative is going to just clean it up. Or a surprise bill. Yeah, or a surprise <laughs> bill. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to beat auto-scaling. We often list this 
on the same level like many other features, but uh, I think it often goes underappreciated by even the users of Keynative because it's just there and thinks when you don't look at it, it's not there. But when you look at it or somebody else is looking at it and using it, it's there. So it's, it's pretty powerful. I think the other thing I would highlight there is that when we give people the power of, of Keynative as in the easy deploying applications and people coming from microservices world, we're start, starting to deploy 20, 30 different applications on top of that, quickly realizing that maybe not all of them need to be exposed to the outside world. Maybe we should just kind of expose one UI application or a service endpoint for API and then hide everything else. And I think if with the recent release of 0.3 week or two weeks ago of, of Knative, uh, we've added this cluster local provisioning for services, which uh, with a single label, single attribute in a configuration, you're saying this is only to be used by other services in, in this cluster, not by anybody outside. People already are talking about appreciating this very much because it allows them a lot more flexibility with the type of applications that deploy on Knative. I want to dig a little deeper on the scale to zero part. It's something I've actually just remembered. I've always been thinking about with Knative. So in a traditional Kubernetes world, you have pods and you have nodes in your cluster. But if you have scale to zero on the functions within Knative, what happens to the nodes in that cluster? Do you scale the nodes to zero? How does that work? Yeah, so in that case, we do not uh, spin the nodes down to zero. So the Knative doesn't do that for you. So we just take care of the pods for you. So you would have to do something uh, in addition to go ahead and actually scale the cluster itself properly to go and bring the nodes in and out. Yeah, Knative will deal with optimizing the efficiency of using your cluster. Got it. And by creating more demand on a physical resources, it gives the signal to Kubernetes to scale horizontally. So Kubernetes will see the pressure, Mm -hmm. will provision a new node, and it's probably not something that dynamically will happen transparently to the users who suddenly need to be offloaded to another node. Uh, But even then, it's getting better and better with how fast that can be done behind the scene. So you can use the Kubernetes node autoscaler in conjunction that works yes if you if your cluster is configured for auto scaling knative will benefit from that just by running on top of that exactly now, the only other thing maybe perhaps adding here in addition to those features i kind of feel bad for identifying the cluster local and nothing else some of the things that we've done in the gke version of knative so if you provision knative using the gke add-on you're obviously getting the knative components but you're also getting a lot of kind of additional service integration from uh, GCP itself. You're getting stack driver integration for logging, some tracing information you get there, you get some monitoring. So increasingly, this feels like a fully managed service, even though the open source components, you have to do a lot of this yourself. In case of GKE add-on, it feels like uh, something that you can kind of say, Google, this is your problem, solve that for me. Don't page me in the middle of the night when one of the pods doesn't start. I will just write my applications. Vile and Mark, what do you expect to the future of Knative, either open source or on GCP? What we should expect? One of the things that uh, we are working very, very hard is, is making the developer experience easy. That part I hope we have convinced you of. The other thing that we are putting a lot of work into is making sure that the Knative stack itself is manageable. So we want to make sure that when our operator friends, either whether it's at Google or some other companies that are running and providing the Knative stack, that they have the confidence that the stack can be managed, which means you can go ahead and have seamless upgrades. When new versions roll out, you have a high degree of confidence that everything is going to go and just keep on running and everything else. So that's where we are spending a a lot of effort right now. That is not really developer-facing, but it's very, very important to me personally is to ensure that the stack itself can be managed. 
Just a question that popped up now in my head when you were explaining that. Uh-huh. You said that it's going to manage for versions, updates, upgrades. Let's say one thing like Spectre happens again. With Knative, would I have to go manually patching all my servers or it just is going to do everything for me and I don't have to worry about that? I just I just thought about that because we did have that problem recently. Not we, as we as an IT community. And that was a big problem. Would would Knative help on that? Knative itself wouldn't really help, but it, it would be taking advantage of basically the cluster operators that are providing the underlying cluster. So, for example, our tireless Google SRE folks would just make sure that it just goes away. So Knative, no, but because we are... Uh, building on top of Kubernetes, then everything that you get from Kubernetes and manage Kubernetes properly is free out of the box. Really standing on the uh, shoulder of giants, as we say. That's exactly right. And in GKE, now we have those uh, flags for auto-repair and auto upgrade. So if those mm-hmm. two options are checked when you provision Knative, you are benefiting from that very thing. You will get a control plane upgrade and you will get auto repair of the nodes. Fantastic. I think coming back to the you know future of, of Knative, just doubling down on a little more on what Vila was saying, with 0.3 release, I think we really have not uh, talked about it this way publicly, but maybe we should a little more. It's probably the very first release that kind of solves for a lot of the friction points that we've gotten feedback from the community. So people, uh, when we first uh, announced zero uh, one release during Next in San Francisco, there was you know a few customers that actually were using that at that time, but the community was still not providing a lot of feedback to of actual real world use cases. Over the last seven months, we actually started getting a, a meaningful feedback from actual users, people who run that uh, for workloads that, you know, I'm not sure they're production, but something that is ready to provide some kind of meaningful feedback. With 0.3 release, we've actually implemented many of the uh, solutions for many of the friction points that we've heard about from community. So you, you will see kind of that emphasis going forward, going all the way to the proverbial 1.0 release, which we will hope have soon. No timelines to speak of yet. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think that emphasis on making sure that people are able to leverage that to build real world applications that are not just hello worlds, but something that helps them solve real problems. It, it's something that's very close to the entire team, uh, both on the engineering as well as on the product side. We make sure that those things are addressed or, first of all, captured from, from the community uh, through either Slack channels that we use or issues in our GitHub repositories or even empathy sessions with customers and, and trying to kind of observe how they use that system. And then going back and making sure that those issues are addressed in our pretty frequent cadence release, which is now every six weeks. So yeah, actually, to that point, you mentioned Slack. If people want to get involved with Knative or want to learn more, or maybe contribute, where should they go? You should follow Vila on Twitter, first of all. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> we do have a public channel. So the official channels are the issues uh, and comments. Frankly, you don't have to uh, open an issue. You can just open a comment in a repository in GitHub. So github.com forward slash Knative. You can also join knative.slack.com, which is a whole organization dedicated with a number of different channels for clients or monitoring or security, whatever it's interesting to you. And Knative Twitter is also, Knative Project on Twitter is also a good place to kind of raise concerns or even ask a question or comment. Vila and I are also on those social media points. So just grab us at conference, reach out to anybody on the team, and we'd definitely love to hear from you. 
Yeah, and that just more the, the the community aspect, the conversations that happen in Slack, and it's it's very very welcoming, and it's fantastic to get new users, new contributors, new kick in the tires. What is this thing? It's a great community. Awesome. Well, I think actually we're just about out of time, so I think we'll wrap things up there. I think that was great. So, Ville, Mark, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about Knative. Thank you so much for having us. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks again to Mark and Ville for joining us on the podcast to talk about all the cool things Knative. But now I have the really hard questions that I'm going to ask Gabby about Cloud SQL. Are you prepared? I am. Excellent. Question of the week. How long does it take for Cloud SQL to detect an outage and trigger high availability failover? How good is our stuff? So short answer, 60 seconds. But a lot happened to that to be detected. Yep. So every second, the primary instance or your master, depending on the terminology you use, sends a write to our system database, which it is a heartbeat. And if it doesn't detect a heartbeat signal for 60 seconds, it will trigger the failover and standby instance will be the new primary instance that you had in there. So you always have a hot standby replica there and that's how long it takes to activate the failover. Now the failover may take a bit more because it depends on the replication and that's a lot of stuff that we can cover on another podcast. Awesome. Sounds like we should do a whole Cloud SQL episode. <laughs> well, I hope people want to see that. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Excellent. Well, that's really good to know. Fantastic. Well, Gabby, where are you going to be? What are you up to? What cool things you've got going on? So this February, I'll be talking about the awesome new features of MySQL 8.0 at PHP UK Ooh. in London. So come out and see if you want to know the cool tricks about MySQL 8. Awesome. That sounds really good. I will be at nothing immediately in the next few weeks. I actually need to renew my visa. Yeah, small detail. It's a little thing. It's fine. <laughs> Small detail. But I am looking forward to GDC. I will be at GDC Game Developers Conference in March. I'm really looking forward to that. There's going to be a really big Google presence there. Uh, we're going to have a booth. We're going to have presentations. Uh, keep an eye out. We'll definitely be talking about that more. I will also be at Cloud Next, as I assume you will be, Gabby. Yes, I will. Yeah, so probably doing various things there as well. So keep that on your radar. database You'll be doing database things. I'll probably be doing gamey things and all sorts of other stuff. And finally, this is a little bit further out, but in April, I will be presenting at the East Coast Games Conference. I'm going to be talking about Agones. I'm going to actually do some presenting about sort of open source strategy as well and why I think the games industry should be doing more stuff in the open source realm. So that should be kind of fun as well. So lots of good stuff on the horizon. A lot of stuff. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for joining joining me on the podcast, the very first podcast of the year. But thank you so much for joining me on it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark, for having me here. I hope I didn't up anything. <laughs> I know you did a wonderful job. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you all next week. See you later. Bye.